You can listen to The Professional Left on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or at our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, where you can also contribute to this podcast. There is a PayPal button at our website, or you can mail us a letter and or contribution at P.O. Box 9133, Springfield, Illinois, 62791. This is the podcast for May 8th, 2015. It's not safe for work. Recorded live from Teacher Depreciation Week, it's The Professional Left with Drift Glass and Blue Gal. Hey, everybody. Yeah. Um, hat tip Dan on Facebook who pointed out to me that Chicago teachers have been told they need, need to take a 7% pay cut during yeah, sorry, Teacher Appreciation Week. Yeah. This is Excellent like the time. governor of Illinois cutting autism funding on during National? Autism Awareness oh, Day. Yeah. I'm sorry, on World, on world Autism world Day. World Autism Day. Yeah. Sweet. And uh, so you did, you did, and I was so mad about this, and you did make me laugh when you said, oh, so I see it's Teacher's Depreciation Week. Yeah. How low can you, now how much would you pay? Yeah. Now how much would you pay? But wait, there's more. <laughs> We're going to back up a truck with all of society's problems, dump them into your classroom and say, fix this shit. And prepare everybody for standardized tests, maybe 10 or 12 every year. Uh, and we're going to treat you like union thugs and call you names and insult your profession. We don't want to do your work because your work is way too hard for any of us to do. And then we're going to cut your payoff from underneath you. So, hey, thanks and, a and lot. And beat up on your unions, the only people that re that represent you and yeah. and try to make your working conditions bearable. Uh, two things. One, one is you and I did talk about uh, donors choose. And you and I yeah. do... Uh, signal boost for donors choose when we see a teacher that uh wants science fiction books for their classroom we post those to our facebook page our, our yeah. uh, podcast facebook page uh but i was making a joke with you about you know ordering toilet paper for your classroom on donors choose or do we just take a nature walk that's right <laughs> are, you, are you near a cluster of woods are you near some place where your students could just head out and, and uh grab a fistful of leaves and I thought maybe a great bumper sticker would be my honorable student shits in the woods because it, it, it it's really so is. sad. You have to make a joke about it. Otherwise, you'll just commit harakiri right away. You know, just so mad. What, I get so mad. Sort of thing, well, this is the sort of thing our school reaches out for. Our schools reach out for. You know, we're, we're, we're short of paper towels. Yeah. We're short of toilet paper. Clean it. Kleenex. Yeah. The yeah. basic sort of necessities of, and you know, I, I have no illusions that my mom, when she was teaching, wasn't um, contributing yeah. off the books lots of things mm -hmm. or stockpiling lots of things because next year the budget's going to be cut and the year after that's going to be cut. So having a garage full of construction paper is probably a really good idea. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's always been underfunded and over. Uh, too much demands put on what teachers can and can't do. But it's just, it's ridiculous. And, and it really is an example in a, in a bigger sense of how bad things have gotten. Uh, no, that's, I, that's the point, I think, yeah. is how uh, John Oliver did a wonderful job this past weekend talking about standardized testing uh -huh. and how uh, the standardized test instructions included what to do when a student vomited on their test. But test them till they puke was what people talked about when No Child Left Behind passed, that that was the goal of No Child Left Behind. And uh, there, I want to give a big shout out to a group called Badass Teachers. They're on Twitter. They're on Facebook. They have a blogspot blog, badassteachers.blogspot.com. 
Uh, Badass teachers is for every teacher who refuses to be blamed for the failure of our society to erase poverty and inequality and refuses to accept assessments, tests, and evaluations imposed by those who have contempt for real teaching and learning. And they are making waves and uh, good for them. Uh, The problems with our schools are poverty and inequality. And until we address those problems education is going to have big problems. Um, so, uh, and that's not a joke. No, but... Uh, and, and, and thank you to Stephen Colbert. I'm sorry to interrupt you. Um, please, please. Stephen Colbert, uh, through Donors Choose, he you know he auctioned off his set and yeah. uh, is funding every Donors Choose uh, project in the state of South Carolina uh, through including. his group. Including, oh, well, see, it made me cry. I was reading the list of things that South Carolina teachers wanted, and you caught me sitting at my computer with tears down my face because it was, it was things like uh, balls for dodgeball on the playground for kindergartners and a table for, 100, for $165. They were going to buy a set of dodgeballs, um, uh, kidney-shaped tables for individualized instruction in mathematics for second graders, a table. A piece of furniture for the classroom was what the teacher wanted. I mean, so that the kid, so that the kid won't be crammed in with ten other kids while getting instruction that he needs or she needs on math. Right. Help getting help, individualized help, which is what we ask of our teachers. Um, And there's there's a a sort of larger irony here, um, a a terribly sad irony. Uh, I had occasion to talk to a large group of people last week, uh, last weekend, and I'm not going to talk. I'm not going to talk in great detail about that, but. In preparing for it, I had to go through a lot of notes and a lot of statistics and things like that that have been going on for a very long time. And nothing that this uh, our, our listeners don't already know, but the irony that we've spent 30 years trying to decimate and succeeding in decimating unions, mm-hmm. getting rid of unions, uh, because unions, of course, labor unions and high taxes are just are, are the two things that destroy this country. Uh, and having succeeded in slashing taxes for very, very rich people and getting rid of unions, uh, we have accomplished exactly what that was intended to do, which is make the rich people very, 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 very rich and make everyone else flatline or doing much worse over the last 30 years. And to take away from them any tools they might have for pushing back against the narrative that everyone is overpaid except for the very, 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 very rich who are underpaid for some reason. The only method that the working class ever had for participating in the enormous uh, explosion of wealth that their labor created through just by by labor and for the last 30 years increased productivity has been organized labor. That's the only way that, that you as a worker get a stake at the table. Other, otherwise, it's just you as a supplicant begging your boss for a nickel more uh, a month or just not to be fired. It's mm-hmm. you versus the, the established institution. It's you versus the corporation. There's no countervailing force. So having gotten rid of all of the institutions that protect and help workers keep up with the upper class and the upper upper class, thanks to all the wealth that they are generating, you now have the working class turning on the last remnants of unions in this country as if the real problem is the teachers are overpaid. Mm-hmm. No, the real problem is you are st- you were fucking stupid enough to give away your labor protection, to give away your retirement, to let them flip it over into a 401k and, and to imagine that the tender mercies of corporate America would be sufficient to protect you in your 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s and in retirement. And when it turned out that wasn't true, 
And and when it turned out there wasn't enough money left in the system after they vacuumed it all out to pay for all the things that we need to keep a middle class world going, instead of taking on the people who are the problem, the people who caused this, the people who who authored the idea of supply side economics and destroying labor unions, instead of going after the Koch brothers, you go after my mom. You go after a teacher. You go after people who, who were, again, not stupid enough to give up on the idea that they need protection because if you don't have protection, if you don't operate as a group, you're going to get screwed. And that's just horribly ironic that the, the teachers uh, who were not dumb enough to give up their union protection are the ones who are now being blamed for everyone else's problems. Predictable, but uh, but sad. And, and we're going to skip ahead because uh, we could talk about Pamela Geller at the end of the podcast. <laughs> Yes. Yes. I, well, I know you have a you have a, a very long and rich um idea <laughs> pool yeah, to that talk you'd like about to uh, to um, go into. But um just in related to this whole issue of the American economy, um you and I talked about it and we donated a couple bucks and it was just a couple bucks and that's probably going to be it for a while uh to Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh-huh. Um first of all because we think he's right. <laughs> yeah. That's that's it. We think he's right. And uh, also because if there's ever a blacklist, we want to be on it. So um, absolutely, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wanted to talk about the AP story that was excerpted in our local paper in a sidebar yesterday, just under news highlights. Uh-huh. Um, the Senate passed the House GOP budget on a party line vote, on a what they called a near party line vote, AP. Associated Press. I am not using a liberal source for this. <laughs> I'm simply using the wire source for this. Uh-huh. Uh, on a nearly party line 51 to 48 vote, every Democrat voted against this GOP budget. Yep. Two Republicans also voted against this GOP budget in the Senate. Would you like to guess who they are? Mm, scoop chat. No. <laughs> Uh, he wasn't. He wasn't a Republican anyway. Uh, Dwight Eisenhower and that congressman Nixon, from yeah. Nixon, that congressman <laughs> from California, is making a name for himself. That Richard Nixon fellow. Ted, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. Oh God. Because they don't want to be identified with this budget as presidential candidates. Uh huh. This budget, and again, I said this last week. Bernie Sanders says I tell people about this budget and they don't believe me. Yeah. Because it can't be this bad. Uh, It um, overturns Obamacare. It uh, promises, quote unquote, a balanced budget within 10 years, which, by the way, we had under Clinton. Um, It promises to cut domestic agencies and safety net programs like Medicaid and food stamps, carve up transportation spending and student aid, and curb tax breaks for the poor. Those damn... We have to curb tax breaks for the poor. Republicans don't plan to adhere to most of its cuts in follow-up legislation, however. (laughs) So that balanced budget that they're promising within a decade and curbing spending, they don't really mean it. So I guess you don't have to call them on it, except you should. It is, you know, this is not a real dollars and cents. They know this isn't going anywhere. It's a statement of principles. If these are your principles, you're a dick. And uh, in the near term, the GOP plan promises a 38 billion seven percent increase for the Pentagon that is only possible by padding war accounts. Uh, yeah, re- t- 
Ted Cruz of Texas and Rand Paul of Kentucky, both presidential contenders, were the only Republicans who voted against this blueprint. Senator Marco Rubio of Florida voted in favor, as did Lindsey Graham. All Democrats voted in opposition. Both sides don't. They don't. They just don't. They just don't. And so if you are so inclined, and I am going to do this, I suggest that as many of us who are inclined, write to your local newspaper. Because I'm telling you, the the letters to the editor section of your local newspaper has been overtaken by Hannity viewers. And this is a place where they are desperate to publish an opposing side, just for balance. There is no balance there. Uh, You can find out about this GOP budget blueprint. If your senator is a Republican and is not Ted Cruz or Rand Paul, they voted for it. You know that. Find out if your congressman voted for it and name them by name. This budget process privatizes Medicare. And the people that voted for this need to run on it and defend it every day. They also cut tax, cut the estate tax, eliminate the estate tax in this blueprint. And so if you want to talk about, if you want to make this a short letter, ask, why do you need to kick grandma out of the nursing home, but Kim Kardashian gets to keep her tax break? Because that's uh-huh. what the estate tax is. The estate tax is the Kim Kardashian, is, is, it's for spoiled brats of very wealthy people to not have to pay taxes on their inheritance. Uh-huh. That's all and Never work That's a day of their true. life. Yep. <clears throat> That's what it is. It's exactly what the founders didn't want. Inherited it's, wealth. Yeah. Jefferson was so against this. And I, I don't like to call up the, the founding fathers as being the ones that run everything. I hate when conservatives do that all the time and I just hate it. But if we want to talk about the constitution and how this country was set up as a democracy, one of the things that was going to keep it a democracy in the eyes of the founders was we were not going to have an inheritance class of right. people that consolidated wealth. That was not to happen. And like like Roosevelt said, yeah. um, government by organized mob and government by organized money are mm-hmm. both equally bad. Yeah. yeah, and that's all this is. All this all this is. Um, if you if you look at any individual piece of legislation up close, you'll find it all clustered with the language of morality about you know the, the the right thing to do and the dependent poor and compassionate conservatives uh, conservatism all the bullshit buzzwords that have been um, that have been focus group tested for decades um, and are all nonsense but but if you zoom it out it's very simple um, this is about giving absolute power over the lives of everyone in this country to the wealthiest people in this country and and making sure that they have they have they pay nothing. They pay as little as possible for the maintenance of the country that gives them power and give them maximum amount of power and influence over our lives. This is a feudal system that's being set up right in front of us, right before our very eyes. And it's happening step by step, legislature by legislature, PTA meeting by PTA meeting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there's some people who are going along with it and are perfectly fine with it because they think it won't affect them. They think they'll be in the ruling class, so that'll be great. And there's some people who are uh, opposed to that. I don't want to live in a feudal system. I'd like to live in a system where uh, smart people, a smart liberal tall people ran things, but I'm not going to ever get that. <laughs> so, you know, we all invent our, our little ideologies that favor us, mm-hmm. and that would be mine, uh, but that's never going to happen. Um, and then there's a vast pool of people who are completely oblivious to all of this. That would mm-hmm. be the 50% of the people that never vote and never involve themselves in politics in any way. Um, but I think I there is a group of people that's really paying attention to what happens to Social Security and Medicare. 
Uh-huh. And they don't want change in that, and they will vote. And um, there's a wonderful video on um, Facebook. I shared it on my Facebook page. Bernie Sanders and Al Franken in a hearing with um, a person who is in favor of, I, I want to call it the Senior Citizens Act or the Elderly Americans Act. There is this um, bill that uh, Sanders is trying to push through which will fund um, home nursing visits for seniors so that primarily they will have groceries in their house. Uh, They are finding that um, seniors will be able to stay in their homes and have uh, at much lower cost uh, satisfactory outcomes, meaning a, a healthy existence, if someone checks on them. And make sure they have groceries in their home. Very often, seniors don't have access to grocery stores from the standpoint of transportation. Sometimes they just are not able to um, figure out what they need to get at a store because they're in their 90s and they are not copus mentis enough to really mm-hmm. be able to plan ahead. Compos. Compos mentis. Thank you. Um, but uh, this gives uh, some funding to a program that will save the government a lot of money compared to nursing home. There are people who are in nursing homes who could live in their own homes. And when you say that to a group of seniors, by the way, Uh that really resonates. Seniors don't want to go to nursing homes. They want to live in their own homes. They want to die in their own homes. And that is Mm -hmm. a perfectly reasonable thing to want. Mm -hmm. And and this program uh, provides support for that. And keeping a senior in their own home as opposed to a nursing home just because they don't ha- they have a nutrition issue is silly. Mm-hmm. If, the, if they have other health issues where they need an IV regularly or they need, uh, you know, nursing care because their health is deteriorated, that's different. But if it's simply nutrition, that is something that can be provided in your own home. Rand Paul was at this mm-hmm. hearing <laughs> being a dick. He is just the biggest <laughs> dick in the con- I ju- it, it It's just... What what a twerp saying, well, you know, if this is going to save us two billion dollars, that's a lot of money uh, that why are we spending that money? Maybe that should just be private charities doing that. Sure. And and then he says, oh, well, OK, I guess if saving two billion dollars is such a great thing, why don't we just give you 20 billion dollars? Maybe that'll be even better. And Bernie Sanders never went off track. He's he, every time Rand Paul said some snarky asshole-ish thing, Bernie Sanders went back to seniors, nutrition, and staying in your own home. <gasps> staying on message. Staying on <laughs> message. You know, if Bernie Sanders can bring one thing, yeah. one thing to the discussion, to, to the political presidential uh, arena, mm-hmm. the idea of staying on the fucking message yep. and not getting distracted, not running down every YouTube rat hole and not not right. not engaging in fights on their terms, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. liberals are really bad at. Yeah. Um, yep. It is. That's it a, that's it bothers point. me so much every time I see on Twitter the word feminism show up and all of a sudden there's just a con- a turf battle between you know how to spot a feminist and all the teacotters come out and have really sexist things to say. Don't take the bait. Right. Get get busy running the world, women. That's what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> well, and uh, if you're, to, if you're uh, on Twitter fighting with somebody on teacot about what a feminist is, give up. <laughs> get a life. <laughs> Find something better to do with your life. Really, really, um, there, there are better things to do to exert power in this world. Yeah, and if you're doing that, 
if you're doing that as a hobby, if you're, oh, if if you're, you're just having fun at, at nighttime yeah. with a beer and you're going to troll somebody, I don't, you know, whatever your hobby is, I, huh. I suggest you knit hats for the homeless, but yeah. Um, but what, whatever you want to do with your spare time is not none of my business. Now, um, now speaking of making uh, budget cutting jerks horribly uncomfortable, mm-hmm. I, 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 this is not in our uh, in our notes. We do make notes before the show, just so you know. Uh, it's one of our many secrets that we are not supposed to talk about. Uh, it's, it's the formal podcast secret handshake. Call. <laughs> um, but uh, we do talk about stuff before and we, we have a general outline of what we're going to talk about. But clearly we're not on a script or if we were, you know, uh, it wouldn't sound nearly this. Uh, what's the word? Spontaneous. Yeah, that's my, my notes say. Remember to say spontaneous right here. <laughs> um, but in our local paper today, the State Journal Register. The uh, the deeply flawed Democratic Party of Illinois, which is still better than the absolute lunatics, the 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 budget cutting governor hedge fund Republicans, uh, engineered a day to just embarrass the shit out of Republicans. That's that's all they did. Um, they really really oppose the very deep brutal cuts that we've talked about in this podcast many times to social services in this state. Um, there has been a, a small victory for the good guys. Uh, the governor uh, was sufficiently embarrassed and shocked and uh, politically inept enough to step on many, many rakes in a very short order, uh, so bad that he had to concede to restoring funding for all of the social service programs that he just stepped into office and cut. Not next year's budget, but this year's budget. The stuff that is funding them today, he decided he'd just get rid of all that. Because I'm a billionaire and I'm a CEO and fuck you. That's what I'm going to do. You, that's what you elected me to do, which which reminded people, at least me, surprisingly uh, like George Bush in 2004, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Who, who ran on terrorism, terrorism, Iraq. And Dick Cheney saying, if you don't vote, if you don't vote Republican, terrorists might kill your children. OK. And, they, and, and George Bush won with 60 million votes and change. And the first thing out of the box was, hey, let's privatize Social Security. Mm-hmm. What? Where the hell was that discussion during the campaign? Well, I have political capital now, and I'm going to use it. And the first thing I'm going to use it on is getting rid of Social Security, uh, even though Social Security could have been fully funded if the Bush administration hadn't spent four years pissing away the surplus that Bill Clinton handed him. But that's neither here nor there. But the idea that your your freshly elected governor has decided to do something that you had no idea he was going to do unless you were liberal and actually paying fucking attention. Well, and um, the legislature had no idea when they were negotiating with him on the budget deal behind right. closed doors. They that he was going to pull that he was going to do this. Yeah, yeah. So um, as part of now, this is this is not going to this is this is the legislative equivalent of trolling on Twitter. Uh, it's not going to go anywhere. Uh, it's not going to win in the end, but it is an extremely effective method of politics. This isn't about budget. It's not about public policy. This is about politics. Um, the uh, the Democratic House decided to arrange a long series of votes in which the Democrats forced Republicans. Uh, they, they voted to reverse cuts that that Governor Hedge Fund called for. Vote by vote, including I'm reading from the paper, including foster care for people's aged 18 to 21 and paying for subsidized daycare for children older than five. You know, popular programs for real people. And the whole thing was an exercise in forcing Republicans to take votes that would make them look like Scrooge Mm -hmm. over and over and over again. And it infuriated them. Um, and, And they all voted present. Ah, yeah. 
yeah. over and over again, Republicans voted for Cowards, cowards. This is your guy. Vote yeah. for it. You yeah. want to take yeah. money away from poor people. That's what you're in office for. You want, you don't want to talk about it, but the, the effect of your programs is to screw poor people, screw people with disabilities, screw the poor dead, screw a lo- anybody who isn't you, anybody who isn't wealthy, well-off, and well-to-do, and independent of the, of the need for any of these programs. You're in office to take away from those people. So why don't you man up and vote yes. Yes, I do want to take money away from poor children. That's what I was elected to do. That's what I'm going to do. But they didn't have the guts to do that. Instead, they 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 got all red and shook their heads and waved their arms and talked about how this is this is Chicago politics at its worst. Well, okay. <laughs> First of all, this shows me you know shit all about Chicago politics. Because trust me, this is not Chicago politics at its worst. I've seen Chicago politics at its worst up close. And as far as I can tell, you all live to tell about it. Nobody trashed your car <laughs> and nobody threatened your spouse. So no, this is not Chicago politics at its worst. This is simply politics. Mm-hmm. It is forcing people using the tools you have available to take positions publicly they don't want to take. And, and we've said this before, make them vote, make them choose, make them say out loud what they want to do. And that's where uh, 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 Ted Cruz and Rand Paul don't want to do that. No, no they don't want to say out loud what they really want to do. And the, if Bernie Sanders could just stick to his message and force and I, I, this applies equally to Hillary Clinton, force them to state clearly and succinctly what their positions are on various really tough issues. That will be a, a wonderful contribution to the political process. I don't have any illusion Bernie Sanders is going to win or even come close. Um, I, I am not going to die on that hill. I think protest candidacies are um, oftentimes make you feel good, but they don't go anywhere. Um, but I'm very glad he's alive and well and in the middle of the political process today. Well, so. and, I, and I think it is changing the conversation because when yeah. you start talking about seniors staying in their own homes, that changes yep. the that snaps people out of their Fox News bubble because they want to stay in their own homes. And that's that fear. Since we're talking about fear, right. <laughs> the fear right. of being dragged off to a state funded nursing home and left is very real to a lot of seniors. Mm-hmm. And when you stick to that message of there's one party that wants to, you to stay in your home. Mm-hmm. And wants to make sure that you have adequate nutrition while you're in your home. And is willing to check on you, willing to fund a program that will check on you so that you can stay in your own home. And there's one party represented by this snarky asshole with a curly mop top <laughs> saying, well, why don't we give you $20 million? Because that'd be good, wouldn't it? Yeah, you know, I think it would be better if we just had private charity do it because, you know, this is a lot of money. About you staying in your home. He's mm-hmm. snarky about it. He's making jokes about it. And that's his party. It is not, both sides don't do that. Both sides do not uh, abandon you when all you want to do is stay in your own home and have food to eat. That's right. That's not the way it is. And and so, again, I'm reminding everybody, one of the places that you can express that uh, without emotion, and <laughs> with, mm-hmm. with, with just sticking to the facts and staying on message is the letters to the editor section of your local paper. Uh, and usually you can send those in online. Uh, they'll call you to make sure it really is a real person sending the letter, but um, mm. they'll publish it. And yeah. put yeah. name your congressman by name. Yep. Why does he want to give, have Kim Kardashian keep her tax break, but seniors are going to be kicked out of their homes and seniors are going to have their Medicare privatized? Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's get to Pamela Geller. 
Yeah, on a lighter subject. <laughs> on a much lighter subject. Um, well, I, let's mention just briefly that we are now week 11, week 11, mm-hmm. or maybe 12, of have you noticed that nobody's talking about Bill O'Reilly anymore? The lying liar of liarsville. Yeah, just this is all part yeah. of the public service that we provide. Um, <laughs> it's like the weather on the nines. Uh, every, we just want to remind people, uh, even though it's a little bit ad nauseum, that once upon a time, not very long ago, the most important topic on cable news was why the hell does Bill O'Reilly still have a job considering he's a liar? And how, how come other people who lie or get their stories wrong or inflate things get fired, but Bill O'Reilly doesn't get fired? And Fox News hunkered down and said, he's our guy, he's our guy, it's a liberal and conspiracy. his ratings are high, yep. And his ratings are high, and, and blah, blah, blah. Don't you wish you had his ratings? And this was white hot. And at the time, my immediate impulse was, this will blow over. Bill, all they have to do is hunker down and do nothing. Defend their guy, call it a liberal conspiracy, throw a bunch of shiny objects into the air, and this will blow over. And you know what? I was right. You were right. This blew over. Bill O'Reilly ain't going anywhere. Because well, and, no- and when you're the lying liar in the middle of Liarsville, it, it stops mattering because yeah. the society in which you, the company you keep, is, the purpose of it is to lie. So It's not – it's not Bill O'Reilly. It's Fox News. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. conservative media as a whole. He's yeah. just he's just one boil on that giant he's, ass. Exactly. You know? He's a pimple on the ass. Absolutely. And, and and nobody wants to go after the ass itself because someday money they don't want to there. Yeah. Money. Yeah. All right, Pamela Pamela Pammy Atlas, as we call her in the blog world, uh-huh. Pamela Geller got her war. She did. Uh, I I've likened this in our conversations all week to the scene in uh, Cold Mountain, which is a wonderful movie. If we get a chance to see it. Uh, Cold Mountain, they're singing in church, and they're singing this uh, song about forgetting the human world, forgetting the material world, and going to heaven. That The only thing uh, you should be focused on is getting to heaven. This world is temporary and uh, painful and hard, but we won't be here long. We're going to heaven. And farewell, vain world, I'm going home. It's called I'm Going Home, the song. And they're all singing it in church, and all of a sudden they're shouting outside. And all the men run out of the church and find out that Fort Sumter has been fired upon. And these young, uh, naive men start whooping and hollering about, we got our war, we got our war. Mm -hmm. And little do they know, (laughs) I've written whole dissertations on little did he know. Little do they know. That you know, their world is almost is about Over. to end. It's about, about to end, end. and uh-huh. they're all going to die. And the next 150 years will be a struggle to make it to return it, mm-hmm. to put it back mm-hmm. the way it was before them northerners came down and, and messed everything up. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they they got their they sure as hell got their war. They get their and, war, and I, Pam, Pam Geller uh, looked that way this week. You know, uh-huh. she was shot at Fort Sumter was shot upon by evil Muslims and. No one is defending shooting anybody who's engaged in whatever douchebag activity they're engaged in. If they're not shooting, if they're not harming people, uh, no one is defending that. And those crazy people who shot at that meeting uh, remind me of the people that killed Dr. Tiller. (laughs) You know, I mean, there's all kinds of uh, perceptions of blasphemy out there that crazy extremists will use an, as an excuse to kill people. Do you mean that the doctor that Bill O'Reilly called kill, Tiller the baby killer Tiller over the, Tiller the killer. Tiller the killer. Over and over and over and over and over again. You mean yes. that, that guy? You mean that, that guy. guy? Bill O'Reilly's yeah. favorite target? Yep, to call yeah. him Tiller the killer. And, and 
you know, related to that is this crazy woman who hand wrote on a notebook paper to sue all the gays for being gay in federal court. And you and I talked about that and you said, I don't want to, I don't want this podcast to be about pointing to crazy people and saying, ha ha, they're crazy. And I said to you, it's not about that. It's about who told her that she is entitled to the protection of the federal courts because she's a white Christian who thinks gay sex is icky. And that good therefore, point. you know, yeah, it's, it's Hannity. It's Hannity. And it and Absolutely. it's it's uh, Tony Perkins, who has a, a place at the table on television, regardless of whether Bob Schieffer tells him off or not. He's yeah. going to be on TV next week. Of course he is. And so the, the, the story is not crazy people doing crazy things. The story is who gives them permission to do this and who taunts them to do this and who... Who makes money off of them doing this? Pamela Geller got a whole lot richer. Her stock went up this week. She wasn't shot at. I don't even think she was there. This thing was organized by her. Was she there in Texas? I, I don't believe so. I don't believe I she don't was know. even. I, I don't think she was. I, 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 I will stand corrected if I'm wrong about that. But I don't think she was there. But this is not a religious war. This is a war for publicity. And this yeah. is a war for money and attention. And um, you were talking about, um, you know, is she going to be on? Who was talking about her being on cable? Was it Michael Smirconish? Michael, I, as I as I tooled around the town today, um, I listened to Michael Smirconish on uh, the Centrist Radio Network. By the way, uh, on the uh, on POTUS, the Centrist Radio Network, uh, John Huntsman and Joe Lieberman will be co-hosting this weekend and talking about both sides, both sides, both sides. I'll be missing that show, I'm afraid. I'll, I'm going to find something else to do. I think I have to clean out uh, my belly button. Uh, <laughs> is, 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 is a lint hazard zone at this point. And I need to get in there, clean that out. It's going to take a couple of hours, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Uh, so going to miss that show. But I was listening to, to Michael Smirkanish, who begins every sentence with, I remember when I, uh, because yeah. it's always about Michael Smirkanish. Mm-hmm. But he did he did have this, he would made the point that Pam Geller, uh, I'm going to, let me say what I was going to say. Okay. Pam Geller's a monster. Mm-hmm. Pam Geller is a gorgon. Pam Geller is a, a brunette version of uh, Ann Coulter. Mm-hmm. She's just this hate vomiting thing that manifested itself from the id of the conservative movement and plopped into the world to spread bile and hatred wherever she goes. And may That's I say her- in her defense, yes. one thing in her, I have tried to engage her on at several times in between 2008 and 2011. Yes, you did. Um, to come over to the lo- side of the light because she was defending Sarah Palin and she is, and, and I mean this seriously and with, and with great sincerity, she is, three or four times as intelligent as Sarah Palin and and the people that she's defending. She has this, she had at the time this crazy streak that was based in Zionism, based in her upbringing, based in her her religious faith, I'm sure, uh, based in her culture. And uh, I disagreed with her vehemently about that. But she hadn't really gone off the big deep end of Muslims are at war with us and we have to be at war with them. She wasn't all, sort of doing that all the time like she is today. All Muslims are evil. All Muslims yep. are at war with us. We must yep. have a war of cleansing right. to get rid of them. Yep. that uh, She is at war and she says, I'm not at war with Muslims. I'm at war with Islam. Bullshit. But I'm sorry. Bullshit. That's bullshit. bullshit. Sorry. No. Nope. So, and, and she has really gone to a worse and scarier and darker place 
since um, Obama became president. Oh yeah. Uh, even even in the past two years, she's she's they, gone way darker. They all have, but she and, has, and she has, and and I think it's because, uh, and and this is just me psychoanalyzing her. I think it's because she realizes what a failure um, Iraq was, and it, deep down, there's something inside her that says, "Oh my God, we really fucked up," mm-hmm. and so the thing to do, of course, is to double down and be ten times the hate monger that you were before so that you don't have to think about that. You, you have to be the defender of all that is good. Right. Right. Um, but I tried to engage her several times as a blogger and say, look, you know, come on over to our side. You can still be a Zionist. (laughs) There's plenty of Zionists over here, but you don't have to be defending Sarah Palin, which she was doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm sorry. And I interrupted you, but, uh, you were going to talk about Pamela Geller and, Oh, Michael Smirkanish. Michael Smirkanish. Yep. Yeah. So I, uh, my interpretation is that Pam Geller is just a, a walking pile of hate, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. very much like uh, Ann Coulter, uh, Rush Limbaugh. That's her thing. That's all she is. She is powered by a bottomless supply of hatred. And the, and the, the barrel, uh, the bottom of which she lives at, has no bottom. There is no point below which she will not sink in pursuit of her uh, self-aggrandizement and, and starting a war. What she really wants to do is have World War III. Uh, with those people and get rid of those people. And, and you're either on the side of Pamela Geller or you're a stooge of Islamofascism and so forth. And she is well-versed in the vocabulary of crazy apocalyptic right-wing thinking. And she's well-versed in uh, in her deep contempt. She knows all the players, all the terrorists by first name, all of the secret plots, all the uh, uh, Barack Obama is, is part of the Muslim Brotherhood. Uh, it's all a giant conspiracy. And to Michael Smirconish's credit, he said, look, you, you sort of have the right to do this. The, the oh, yeah. This is America. You, you have a right, right to be a douchebag. You do. But, yeah. But this is just awful and unconscionable. And he and he started saying, look, on, on the one hand, there's Sean Hannity and there's Megan Kelly who are like, right on, Pam Geller. You're our, you're our, you're on our team. Uh, you know, this is a war. They're evil. Uh, they they shot at at good Americans and and the immediate reaction by the left was uh, well you got to understand oh, you got to understand and and on the other side he said is are, is Laura Ingram mm-hmm. and Donald said, Trump yeah. as well yeah who said you're not well he didn't say that that is not I'm, I'm oh, talking he, oh about, like, oh Smirconish didn't bring up Donald Trump okay no, but but it, it was fascinating that the only people he talked about were conservatives yeah yeah the liberals didn't exist as far as he's concerned for this conversation and Laura Ingram saying essentially you have the right to do this but you're not helping yeah this is not helpful in any way and it isn't because if you are Charles Hebdo um, you attack everyone you mm-hmm. go after you satirize everyone you that is your thing you satirize the the pompous and the powerful and the people who you think need to be um, taken down a peg. You, you're you're Mark Twain. You satirize the 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 pompous and the rich and the powerful and the people who need to be satirized. Um, that's a world of difference from someone who obsessively hates one tiny group of people. Mm-hmm. That's a, the difference between that and the clan. This sort of deep, uh, uh, abiding, passionate hatred. For one group of people, so that all you do every day is wake up in the morning and find and, and figure out how can I provoke these people? How can I insult and humiliate these people? How can I how can I express? How can I bring people in to help me make liberals cry? Mm-hmm. You know, how can how can I make them unhappy and miserable? How can I how can I make my hatred manifest today? 
And that's what she does every day. Pamela Geller is to the First Amendment what the Westboro Baptist Church is to Christianity. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, She is the logical, uh, malignant manifestation of one of its offshoots. It is if you have a society where people are free to say anything, eventually you'll get to a scumbag like Pamela Geller. Mm -hmm. If you have a faith that has a book and a a belief structure and a belief in God and a bunch of rules and a bunch of different contradictory scriptures that you can interpret any different way you want, eventually you're going to get a bunch of bigots who focus in only on the gay stuff yeah, and obsess over that generation after generation, go to law school, breed their children to be even more potent haters than they are. That's all she is. And she exists in this world now to try to start a war that then she can scream and jump up and uh, up and down about and say, see, I was right. I was right. I was right. And she did manage to provoke a couple of weak minded, violent people in exactly the same way that Bill O'Reilly provoked weak minded, violent people to take a shot at somebody. Fortunately, Mm -hmm. nobody died except the bad guys. So good. Good for them. They've they're gone. But that's her Function. Well, and Dr. Tiller died. I mean, yeah. if it no, was... that's that's the difference. You're... He died. Yeah, yeah. He was assassinated. Now, in this world, crazy people like that, uh, we would acknowledge their existence. They would exist in some deep, distant fringe of society, and we would never hear from them. Mm-hmm. They, they'd be you know, occasionally there'd be a man bites dog story where they've done something particularly nutty like this one, but they wouldn't be the subject. They wouldn't be on CNN. They wouldn't be on Fox News. They wouldn't be part of our national conversation other than to say, isn't it great that we live in a country where someone that batshit gets to say what they want to say? Isn't Mm -hmm. that nice? Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's not the country we live in. We live in a country where Pamela Geller could very well get her own cable TV show. Yeah. Because there's enough people out She could fundraise on the internet off of this and have $800,000 in a week. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So are you still there? I'm still here. Okay. I just, I I was done. Uh, (laughs) I believe you had some scripture you wanted to insert. Some Bible bitch. Bible bitch. That's not scriptural. Today, we're recording this on Thursday. Um, I want to say this without gagging. This is the National Day of Prayer. Uh, I put something up on Facebook that was from America's United for the Separation of Church and State, which is one of my favorite charities, run by a minister, by the way. It's not uh, an anti-religion group at all. It is a separation of church and state group. And uh, they pointed out the, the passage in the Bible where Jesus says that you should enter a closet to pray. <laughs> and the father who seeth in secret will reward you openly. That's how the King James Version goes. Uh, and so National Day of Prayer, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus uh, was not behind that. You know, that's not something that Jesus would support. And I pointed out that um, bossing everyone around on the basis of Christian values and then kicking the poor, that's actually the opposite of Jesus' yeah. teachings. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes, so there's that. But mm-hmm. I want to speak to Christians and, and Christendom mm-hmm. as it is expressed by people who um, want to file federal lawsuits against gay people. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, think that there is a war on Christmas and and those kind of things where Christianity is a constant uh, spewing of grievance and entitlement so, against those people based on Mike what Huck- they look like. So Mike Huckabee, you're talking about yeah, Mike Huckabee. Well, and I talked about Mike Huckabee last week. Um, one of the things that unites Christians 
uh, and I think even Mike Huckabee would agree with this, is um, the crucifixion and the resurrection. That's just something that's really central to being a Christian. And uh, in our Bible, in my Bible reading this week, um, I read from Mark and I read from 1 Corinthians, and this passage about the crucifixion might be a little hard to listen to uh, because it is an execution, right. uh, but um, it tied together so well both with what is said in Corinthians and then the message that, that I wanted to get across to people about judging others uh, that um, I wanted to just share it. Um, this is from Mark. The soldiers brought Jesus to Golgotha, meaning Skull Hill. They offered him a mild painkiller, wine mixed with myrrh, but he wouldn't take it. And they nailed him to the cross. They divided up his clothes and threw dice to see who would get them. They nailed him up at nine o'clock in the morning. The charge against him, the king of the Jews, was printed on a poster. Along with him, they crucified two criminals, one to his right and the other to his left. People passing along the road jeered, shaking their heads in mock lament. You bragged you could tear down the temple and rebuild it in three days, so show us your stuff. Save yourself. If you're really God's son, come down from that cross. The high priests, along with the religion scholars, were right there mixing it up with the rest of them, having a great time poking fun at him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. Messiah, is he king of Israel? Let him climb down from that cross. We'll all become believers then. Even the men who were crucified alongside him joined in the mockery, which is stunning. Yeah. 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 Um, and so then from from Second Corinthians, and this is all, all of this is from the message, which is the Bible in modern uh, language uh, by Eugene Peterson. Our firm decision is to work from this focused center. One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life. A resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or by how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Mm-hmm. Well put. Amen. Mm-hmm. Pray in secret. Let let yes. God sort it out. <laughs> keep, keep it to do do good works in public. Oh yeah, no, and that was my point. Was Jesus taught us pray in secret. Let God inspire you in secret and help the poor. And help the poor in public. Get out there. And the opposite. Speed. The, the Republican the budget is the opposite is the, of that. <laughs> if you can multiply the entire message, the, the really salient portion, take out yes. the miracles, take out all the, everything all else. The all Jefferson the stuff Jefferson took out. Yeah, yes. all, take out all that shit. You don't want to believe in any of that stuff. Fine, that's fine. No problem with that. Take only the moral teachings of mm-hmm. Jesus. Mm-hmm. Multiply it by negative one. And that's what the Republican Party does. That, that's their program. Yep. Uh, it's it's quite astonishing how, how um, perfectly un-Christian the Christian right is in so many ways. Um, I, I wanted to bring up um, Mr. David Brooks, if you don't mind. You may do your obligatory David Brooks mention, as we have yes. in our notes. <laughs> I, I put in obligatory David Brooks David mention. David Brooks mention. <laughs> which, I, which I do to death. Uh, but I, And I do it for a reason that I've explained to death. But it really is, when I have said in the past that I David Brooks is engaged in a vast conspiracy to radically redact the modern history of conservatism, I'm not kidding. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, when, I, when I have said before that he is establishing a cult of a type, a, a religion of a type, a church of a type, in which he can sheathe all of his redactions, all of his revisions to modern history. The, the, uh, the whole idea that we're going to wipe out the history of modern conservatism and just not talk about it. And we're also gonna, not going to talk about David Brooks's central role in that movement for the last 30 years. Um, to get away with that is, is astonishing, and he's getting away with it. Um, and then we're going to sheathe all that in the language of morality, in the language of faith and humility and reticence. And, and we're not going to talk about what I used to do or what I used to think or how things used to be, because that, that, that's my, my, my private faith doesn't allow me to talk about my horrible, horrible, fucked up history as an awful person. Basically, that's it. It's it's the idea that he's, A, um, been working for 10 years to undo in print all the things that his movement has done, and it's working. And B, that he's glazing over that with, he's appropriating the language of faith to do it. And it's working. It's working great. And the problem is, and I'm quoting again, public debate is now under-moralized and over-politicized. We have shows where people argue about fiscal policy, but not so many on how to find a vocation or how to measure the worth of your life. And I I point this out because this was published in the same paper on the same day that Mike Huckabee announced he's running for president for the second time. And the article- Was it published on the National Day of Prayer? It published on the National Day of Prayer in which Mike Huckabee uh, is very clear that his book, God, Guns, Grits, and Gravy is gonna play a central part of his campaign. Because, as I said, and it goes on and on about his evangelical history and his opposition to same-sex marriage, but it's all about his personal morality, his sense of morality. And that's the part that that is maddening to me, that this assertion that everyone at the Davos level, at the 1% level, just takes as true, that the problem is we don't discuss morality enough. The problem is we don't, we're not having a public discussion of morality. Everything's about politics, not, not about morality. Ignores the fact that for the last 30 years, David Brooks's Republican Party has talked about nothing but morality, their morality. See, in David Brooks's universe, there, there never was a Jerry Falwell. Yeah. There was never a Pat Robertson. There was never, never a Phyllis Schlafly. There was never a James Dobson. Frank Schaefer never wrote Crazy for God. George Bush never cited Jesus as his personal favorite philosopher. The Family Research Council never organized Justice Sundays. Remember those? Where we're going to beat up on judges for not towing the party line? There was never mm-hmm. a movie called Jesus Camp. And uh, Joe Lieberman, his favorite person, uh, uh, David Brooks's favorite person, never publicly sucked <laughs> James Hagee's dick. Uh and called him a Moses and a Mensch. This is a, a post. This is an apocalyptic end times lunatic, who is apparently Joe Lieberman's best buddy. Now, so the entire history of the conservative morality that has completely swallowed David Brooks's party doesn't exist for him. It never happened. That we we don't talk about morality in public. Why don't we do that? Well, David Brooks's party talks about nothing but we're drowning in an ocean of their vomitous morality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And on the other side, apparently he's never heard of. William Barber, Reverend William Barber, who gives many speeches on morality, except they're, uh, they're about social justice and equality and purpose, and is spoken in a language that makes David Brooks very, very uncomfortable. I wonder what because, makes him more uncomfortable, William Barber or Rush Limbaugh? Oh, Rush Limbaugh doesn't exist, and neither yeah. is William Barber, so yeah. that's not a problem. Oh, okay. Neither doesn't exist. <laughs> Nothing ruffles his feather because he just la, 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 la. No, they don't <laughs> exist. These, these things are not happening. The, that, the, the idea that there are people in the public sphere constantly talking about morality in relationship to social justice and equality and civil rights and so forth is a subject that makes David Brooks so terrified and uncomfortable that he just pretends that's not happening. 
He, his whole premise is we're not talking about morality. We're talking about it every goddamn day. He's just not listening because it interferes with his grand theory that the last 30 years never happened. And, of course, in David Brooks's history, popes don't become the Time Magazine person of the year, as this pope did. And Dalai Lamas don't have Twitter accounts, which the Dalai Lama does. So that's my weekly David Brooks rant. Um, and the thing that, that intrigues and appalls me is that I can, I can click all this out of the Google in about five minutes. Yeah. I can disprove David Brooks's insanely ignorant central thesis in five minutes. But he's the most it's insulated not hard to person in America. He really is the most insulated person in America. And, and, and yet, the people that are in a position to punch him verbally back at him to his face don't exist. Well, if they, they do. do, then he just says, well, I never wrote that. Well, and he, swing, he, it bounces he, right off. He doesn't acknowledge... Um, the existence of of liberals. Oh, except uh, I, I will I will put up in my post. He did write a really savage column mm -hmm. uh, back in 2006 or seven or eight, I think it was, when Joe Lieberman was being raked over the coals, and, and it was entitled "The Liberal Inquisition." Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It was not the most modest and reticent and humble <laughs> column you've ever read in your life. But since it happened in the past, and it makes David Brooks look like a fucking idiot, nobody mentions it. Nobody brings it up. Um, but he really has succeeded. In, in just wishing away the last 30 years of conservative history, which he helped create, and the last 30 years of Republican atrocities, which he participated in up to his chin. And the fact that he's trying to do that is understandable. It's as understandable as Pam Geller trying to start World War III. Yep. That's who she is. It is inexcusable that his peers, that Mark Shields and E.J. Dionne and the people that employ him at the New York Times permit him to commit this public fraud week after week to the point where Robert Redford is writing nice letters about David Brooks in the New York Times. Each week, we post to our Facebook page and website an Internet Kitty sent in by you, the listeners. This week's Internet Kitty is named White. That's her name. It's not <laughs> racist. It's just descriptive. Uh -huh. <laughs> she is uh -huh. a lovely white kitty, and her head is stuck in a slice of white bread in this picture. Uh-huh. Uh, and she's lovely. So go visit White at our Facebook page and website. And by the way, she is one of at least four kitties uh, that belong to uh, Vegas Jesse, who writes for Crooks and Liars. Ah, that's nice. Thanks to those of you who sent in Internet Kitty pictures this week. Uh, we have enough for the next few weeks, but you can always send them in. You can send that, your internet kitty to us at our email address, proleftpodcast at gmail.com, where you can also write to both of us. Feel free to write us. We love hearing from you. Be aware that if you write us at any of our addresses, we reserve the right to read your email or U.S. Postal Service. Go, Postal Unions. Letter on the air, unless you say otherwise. And Drift Glass, we got a letter this week from Mike K., mm -hmm. who you love. While you're trying to find that. May I just say a, a shout out to Ari, uh, Ari for, inviting yeah. me, uh, to, for inviting me to that thing. That thing, that, yeah. That thing, <laughs> where he, both he and Jason uh, made hanging out and talking treason very comfortable and a beautiful experience. So we, we hung out together in beautiful southern Illinois at the thing where the thing happened. Um, and I just want to uh, thank them both for their hospitality. Thank you for the invitation. And thank you for helping me to confirm my suspicions. <laughs> and that's all I'm going to say yeah, right now. Yeah, I think um, Ari and Jason helped you confirm your suspicions about yes. lots so, of lots of power structures. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Apparently, I, I'm a good deducer from the middle of the cornfield. I'm, <laughs> I'm not. I'm not uh, poor in that regard. 
The um, Mike K wrote to us and said uh, he he wrote a lexicon which really works called facts and shit. <laughs> ah. Here's the lexicon: religious liberty is the new states' rights. States' rights is don't tell us how to treat darkies and Jews. Religious liberty is also don't treat us don't tell us how to treat homos and women suhas. That's right. And so now we have to figure out the new busing, busing, busing. It might be catering, catering, catering. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mike K. We love you. And Bun Bun Stew. We love Bun Bun Stew also. They had a Bun Bun Stew for us. Who ate a peach this week. A fresh yeah. peach. Oh, my uh, goodness. Well, ate, that's the... Ate whole day. That's, that's straight out of the love song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Is it? Eating fresh do, peaches. Do, do I dare to eat a peach? Apparently, mm-hmm. Bun Bun Stew dared to eat a peach. Dare, so, which, oh. dare to eat a, spe- eat a peach. Okay. <laughs> Don't forget our gourmet coffee guideline. If you can afford to buy an espresso-based beverage for yourself, buy one for us. Uh, this is probably the last week I'll mention that if you're still waiting for your tax refund in order to donate, we totally get that. Thank you for sharing a bit of that with us. We appreciate it. Approximately 1% of our listeners support this podcast with a contribution, and you can too. Oh, and if you if you spot Aaron Shock out there anywhere, let yeah. us know. <laughs> let us know. He's missing. <laughs> uh, see our, the people that want to sue him can't find him. That's yeah. what's happening. Yeah. See our website, professionalleft.blogspot.com, for details. Both our PayPal and postal address information is there at professionalleft.blogspot.com. Please rate our show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio, and thank you for doing that. So, Drift Class, how are the Internet Kitties doing this week? You know, Blue Galley, Internet Kitties would like to wish all moms happy Mother's Day, even though eventually their mom got spayed. Let's think about living. Let's think about loving. Let's think about the hooping and the hopping and the bopping and the loving, loving, dubbing. Let's forget about the whining and the crying, the shooting and the dying, and the fellow with a switchblade knife. Let's think about living. Let's think about life. The Professional Love Podcast is recorded under Creative Commons license. Copyright 2015, Drift Glass Blue Gal Podcast. Minecraft is awesome. Now it's time for Science Fiction University with our science fiction expert, Jeff Glass. Science Fiction University, Dogface Herman sent us one clip. It's from the Time Machine, 1960, and then he wants us to discuss it. He just gives it away. Yes. You're giving it away. You're giving it away. Yeah, it's not a quiz. This is a question, philosophical question. All right. Okay. All right, so let's listen to this clip from the Time Machine. So he dragged his heavy machine... Back in here, scratching the floor, so that he could appear outside the Sphinx again and help the Eloi build a new world. Build a new world for himself. Right where he left her. Yeah. It's not like George to return empty-handed, to try to rebuild a civilization without a plan. He must have taken something with him. Nothing. Except three books. Which three books? I don't know. Is it important? No, I suppose not. Only, which three books would you have taken? And uh, he has, as a side note, he said the, the this is from the end of the movie. Uh-huh. This movie ties with the fly for the best ending in terms of just this, you know, 
fascinating ending of what three books would you use to help what? rebuild society? What three books asks Wilbur for Mr. Ed? That's, that's, <laughs> that's right. That's, that's who that is. That's the same yeah. actor. Yeah. And uh, Dr. Sherman said, let's assume that the books used are more poetic than practical. So none of the books have titles like how to build an aqueduct, how to build a hot water heater. <laughs> you, It's assumed that the Foxfire books are, are not available. And I guess it just depends. Uh, you have a time machine, so you might be going into the future rather than the past, and maybe uh, you'd have access to all of literature on some electronic chip somewhere. Um, but, but do you have any thoughts about that, what three books you would use to help rebuild society? Uh, well, I would... I would reject the premise, just from a practical <laughs> point of view, that I, and I always thought that ending was, uh, when I was a kid, watching it on Family Classics with Fraser Thomas on Channel 9, WGN Channel 9, um, along with all the other really good um, basic science fiction fare they would show. I always thought the ending was great up until I was, I don't know, 12 or so. Uh -huh. And I realized, wait a minute, I've got a freaking time machine. Yeah. I can take whatever I want. I could, why, why, you mean I can't bring four books? That seems unreasonable. That seems very unreasonable. I can't bring four books and uh, a, a record. Uh, I would probably... Um, so the whole idea of being limited to three books is um, is the desert island question. Yeah, from, well, and, and I was going to say it's it's the Voyager question. Yeah. What what do you send into outer space to represent humanity? Yeah, yeah. Well, or the, again, the, the high fidelity question. You're stranded on a desert <laughs> island. Which five records do you bring with you? What's your... What's your top five? What's your top ten? And I guess the question is, are you going to, since, since presumably no one in the year 12,000 or 120,000 or 300,000, whenever it's supposed to take place, and I forget, I, I do forget, um, knows uh, English <laughs> or yeah. can read or write, uh, I'd have to sort of start rebuilding from scratch. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, for those aficionados out there, uh, you know that the Time Machine movie is very different than the Time Machine story. Uh, there is no World War III. There is no uh, destruction at the end of the world. Um, it's the the Eloy and the Morlocks are there, but they're a result of of capitalism. Ooh, um, yeah. Which the, you uh, which you didn't want to threaten in 1960, I take it. Uh, well, uh, well, the time machine was written at the yeah. You, you definitely don't want when to do that when the movie was made. Yeah, yeah. But the uh, the idea was that the industrial masters of the world moved underground eventually. And just started eating people because, mm -hmm. you know, eventually that's what capitalism turns into. Yeah, let's just eat them. We'll, we'll harvest them and eat them. Um, and the uh, and our traveler, uh, uh, instead of going back immediately, he goes forward from there uh, to the end of the world. And there's nothing left on Earth but these kind of uh, giant jellyfish crab things that come slumping out of a very, very um, salty dead sea and a giant red sun in the sky. The Earth is actually dying off, so so H.G. Wells really does take you to the end of the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the different the, the, they diverge, but if you're whatever point you are in the future where you've got Weena and you've got the Aryan super race that are all childlike and healthy, um, you're going to have to rebuild basic things like agriculture and language. So I would bring back. I'd probably get a copy of if I had a if I had a bunch of Shakespeare. Um, I, I'd want a companion with me who was, you know, who was. Uh, uh, thoughtful and interesting. So I'd, I want to bring along a, a work of literature that would sustain me for a really long time. Um, I'd probably want to bring along McGuffey Reader or some other basic building block of language and a book on basic mathematics, I think. Mm. 
Mm. Uh, something to get people going in the right direction. I don't think I'd bring the Bible along. No, I wouldn't. Uh, I think right. I'm pretty sure if Jesus was going to come back, he would have come back by the year 300,000. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's not my province. That's someone else's entirely. And uh, something to sustain me uh, that would be nourishing to read over and over again. And something practical, since I can't bring how to create a, an internal combustion engine <laughs> or anything like that, something basically practical, how the basics of language and the basics of math. And I think with those two, um, and one that's catch as catch can, I, the, the complete works of William Shakespeare, I'd probably do okay. I was thinking, uh, I was looking up lists of books of the 20th century, just because that's my time period. And the one that really struck me was um, Where the Wild Things Are by oh. Maury Sendak. Yeah. That there is something so um, true and comforting in that book in that you can lose your shit and you come home and your dinner is waiting for you and is still hot. Uh-huh. And to me, that message is something that would sustain me. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, you, and in this case, you could. You have a time machine. You yeah. could shuttle back and forth from whatever you're going to uh, back to your own time as many times as you like. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Hopefully, so, hopefully you have a power source that allows you to do that. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know what the power source is for the time machine in, in it's, the It's HG. never explained. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's, it's tech stuff. It's it's that um, the, the most elegant explanation of why I'm not going to explain this to you, I think, is from The Terminator. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Where... She's asking um, um, our hero, uh, Sarah Connor, is asking the her protector all these questions. And he just says, I don't know tech stuff. <laughs> and that's it. And you're no, done. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a soldier. I don't know tech stuff. I don't know tech stuff. I mean, he, you know, he invented it. Yep. And uh, it, it's sufficient unto him. And it works. And that's all you need to know. And it really was, um, I think it was somebody, some very clever critic of his, who said that H.G. Wells, towards the end of his career, sold his... Um, sold his something or other for a pot of message. Oh, wow. Which is a play on, on the biblical phrase, the biblical term, the, a mess of pottage. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that he really started getting heavy-handed when it came to social messages to the detriment of his fiction. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the, uh, the idea of science fiction as a way to explore social issues has always been true. It's always been the case since the beginning of time, since Frankenstein and, and the time machine uh, the sleeper awakes is sort of the same in the same category. Uh, it, it's always a method, unless you're just obsessed with the gadgetry of it. It's always a way of talking about social situations. So you're you're talking about a society where now think about it in the time machine. You have no idea what's going on in the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're yeah. you're in a little province of England, or what used to be England. Uh, for all you know, there might be a vast and mighty stellar empire on the other side of the planet, and this is just some sort of preserve that is, is left alone by the galactic empire that operates out of what was once Brazil. So you have no way of knowing what's going on in the rest of the world. You have no way of knowing. Um, the only thing you know about this world is this conflict between these two distinct races of creatures that both used to be human and that you want the good guys to win and the bad guys to lose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So and you've destroyed that. You've effectively destroyed the bad guys. You really haven't, but you've sort of crippled their people eating machine. And now you want to rebuild a childlike race, innocent, which is very creepily um, colonialist. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and there is something very uh, imperialist about 
bring three works, you know, bring three books with you to the to the future world or the past world that somehow uh, you as and let's face it in this movie, it's it's a white English speaking man gets to bring to his <laughs> to yeah. wherever he's going <laughs> his choice for what is truth and what will uh -huh. be the foundation of society. You're going you are going to rebuild it. Yeah. OK. Um, but I think it's a it's a fascinating question. We're going to have some more of these kind of open ended. We've had well, people write to us and ask us sort of open ended discussion questions. And I you think only gave me you only gave me one of your books. Oh, oh yeah, that's right. I only gave you one of my books. Yeah. Um, there are uh, religious books that are sort of how to that are not the Bible that I might bring along with me. Um, one called uh, it's by a guy named David Cooper. I want to say, Silence, Simplicity, and Solitude, which is uh, basically about meditation and uh, it. It gets into positive and negative mind states and and how to uh, endure those and uh, I think would be really helpful if you're traveling to a place where you know no one and you are essentially alone inside your own head. Uh -huh. um, there's another book that um, Stephen ministers use. Um, the Stephen ministry is part of um, at least it's part of the United Methodist Church. I'm not sure if it's part of other churches that helps people who are going through divorce or job loss or death of a spouse or death of a parent or whatever. And they are lay ministers who sort of help uh, with practical things as well as just listening. And um, they have a book uh, called Speaking the Truth in Love, which is about assertiveness and um, how not to not to impose, how not to impose on people, <laughs> which I think when again, when you're moving into a culture where you're the only one and, and you're being told that these books are going to help you found society, it would, might be helpful to have something that shows you, oh, no, here's how you're humble. Yeah. Here's how you listen. Here's mm -hmm. how you respond to people's yeah. needs. So those are the kind of books that I would sort of want to bring along something that would teach you how to survive, how to uh, manage the loneliness, and uh, how to help, how to how to respond to wherever you're going to be. Those would be the kind of books I would look for. Yeah. And some packets of seeds. <laughs> These are the only kind of tomatoes that you should grow. They're heirloom. They're very, very <laughs> heirloom. They're very tomatoes. heirloom tomatoes. <laughs> and you will grow them because Christianity says so, Lord. Well, thank you, Dogface Terman. We'll be doing... Um, a few more of these. If people have questions about your favorite science fiction movies and your favorite this and that, and um, uh, we can we can talk more about those kind of things in the future. And if if anyone has anything they want to contribute, if you want to keep it from Driftglass, uh, send it to Mrs. Driftglass at gmail .com, and he will not see it before I do. So uh, that's I a way. Very get unfair. The get the quizzes. Very, very unfair, yeah. but okay. Yeah. All righty. Thank you very much, everybody. We'll see you next week. Bye.